Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. And welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you to stay with me. It'll be a time of motivation, some inspiration, some education, and we'll do it without any manipulation. Because we don't have hidden agendas. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to hustle you. We're not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give it up. Nothing like that. This show is simply a show about accurate information. Information that is designed to help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. If you're able to do that, then you always have the freedom to choose. You can make your own mind up. You can orient and adjust to the plan. If you can verify and identify the plan, you can adjust to it. So thank you for listening. Thank you for staying with me. Thank you for all of those radio stations across America that play this show. We're not syndicated. We're not uh, syndicated in hundreds of cities. We're only in about 20 cities across America. And uh, the that is, we buy our time and we pay for our time, and God always supplies our needs. What a wonderful privilege it is to see grace in action. And so as you listen today, I want you to think about something that's very important. There's a big buzzword out today. The buzzword is that I hear often on television. I hear it in movies. I, I hear it coming from athletes. I hear it in schools when I visit private schools and speak with kids in schools. I hear about how they want to follow their dreams. That seems to be a buzzword for 20th century young people today. Follow your dreams, and you can be successful if you follow your dreams. I would like to offer an alternative to that because I don't think your dreams are big enough. I don't think your dreams really quite can encompass what really God has for you. There's so much more. And so I want to give you a show today. I'd like to talk to you today about this concept of following your dreams and looking for success by following your dreams and looking for happiness by following your dreams. And, and let's see exactly what God has to say about it. Let's start off by talking about something that's in critical, very, very important. There are three phases to God's plan. Phase one, salvation. Phase two, the believer in time. And phase three, the believer in eternity. If you've entered into God's plan by faith alone and Christ alone, in other words, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's what you're depending on, then you have begun the most phenomenal journey anyone could ever begin. It's something that's amazing. You have a new life. You are a new person in Christ. The Bible clearly says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. No one else gives you that opportunity. No one else can give you the opportunity to start your life all over again. Only God does that. And I don't care where you are. You can be in a marriage. You can be at home. You can be in jail. You can start your life all over again. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. That means you become a person, a living soul. You have a body, a soul, and now as a result of being born again, a human spirit. You are spiritually alive, and you're able to have fellowship with God, who is a spirit, because the Bible says if we're going to worship God, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, prior to being born again, you had no spirit. You were spiritually dead. So there's no way you could worship God. Unfortunately, a lot of people seek to gain God's approbation by being good. Our Lord Jesus Christ encountered this in the book of Luke in chapter 13 when one person who was saved asked him how many people would really be going to heaven. And he made an amazing comment about those who think they'll be there and they actually won't be able to get in. They'll be outside and they'll be saying, but we did this and we did that. And he will say, I never really knew you. You see, the issue has always been faith alone and Christ alone. Let's make this real clear and real simple. How do you go to heaven? The Bible says, he that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, 1 John 5, 1. Jesus said, what? Believe in the one he has sent, John 6. Believe in me whom he has sent. What does John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, the issue has always been believe. Even in the Old Testament, it was counted unto Abraham for righteousness. He believed God. What are we believing? We're believing that Jesus Christ is the anointed son of God. This is what people had to decide when they saw him in the New Testament era, in the age when he walked in the streets. Was he the Son of God or was he not? And this is what people had a hard time with because they had been indoctrinated in the Jewish religion of keeping the law of Moses, and they had been browbeaten by the religious legalists. My goodness, they had been all, under all sorts of uh, browbeating by these men. These men who were Pharisees and Sadducees, self-righteous men, who said that the only way you could go to heaven was by observing the law of Moses. And also many Jews thought they were going to heaven and going to be in the kingdom because they were Jewish themselves. It has nothing to do with our religion. See, religion is man's efforts to please God. It's a relationship. It's Christ living in you. That's the mystery doctrine of the church. That's something no one ever knew, that the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament would come to live inside of them. Christ will live in you. He will reproduce himself in your life if you believe in him and if you receive him as your Savior. But if you add something, if you say, well, okay, the way I'm going to get to heaven is by being a good, sweet, nice person, and not doing bad things. And then God will let me in because he will judge me, evaluate me based on what I do, and that's wrong. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man would brag about it. I mean, how many works would be good enough to go to heaven? Exactly how good would I have to be? And you see, the main problem is God is perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. And you and I are born imperfect. The Bible says there are none that are righteous. No, not even one, because all of our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. So even if I was the nicest, sweetest person in the world, if I never said a curse word, if I never drank a bit of alcohol, if I never smoked a cigarette, if I I never did anything bad, I would still die and go to hell if I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, because I would not accept his son. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, the Bible clearly says. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's only by faith alone, in Christ alone. So 
Let me ask you this question. What are you counting on to get you to heaven? Are you counting on your church membership? Are you counting on your good deeds? Are you counting on your family that you're involved with? Were your parents great Christians and you think maybe God might kind of cut you a break because they were such great people? It's not true. The only way that you will ever have a relationship with God is through the narrow gate, Jesus said, through him. He's the gate. He's the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our Lord said that. No man can come to the Father but by me. If you've made that decision, you've gone through the first phase of God's plan. You've entered into a new relationship. You have been born again. You are now a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now you've been redeemed out of the slave market of sin. You've been purchased with a price, and that price was the death of the Savior. And now the next question is, now that you are a Christian, now that you're in phase two, the believer in time, what exactly are you going to do with your life? God has a plan for you, and that plan is much bigger than your plan. He has a directive will for you. He has some place he wants you to be. He has something he wants you to say. He has something that he wants you to do. He's equipped you like that. So what is it? Are you having some dream in your mind that if you could just become a, an NFL football player, you'd be happy? If I could just be an NBA star and make a million bucks in the NBA, I'd be happy. If I could just win the lottery, I'd be happy. If I could just find the right person to get married to, if I could just, 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 whatever. That's not going to do it. Listen. Listen to the Bible. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you. That's the power of prayer right there. Oh, man, you talk about an unbelievable power that you can actually pray and immediately be before the throne of God. But there is a condition. A right thing must be done in a right way. If you're attempting to pray as an unbeliever, not going to be answered. It's not going to happen. The only way God would answer your prayer is the prayer of salvation. God saved me. I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I'm willing to receive him as my Savior. That's a prayer God will answer. And if you are a Christian, you can pray until you're blue in the face. But if there's unconfessed sin in your life, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So first you have to deal with your sin. You have to make sure that you haven't quenched the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer, the Bible says in Romans 8. He is the one that takes that prayer to heaven. So call to me, and I will answer you. Now, what, are you going to hear a voice? Is there going to be something come out of the wall saying, hey, hey, look over here? He will answer you. How do you know when God answers you? He answers through his word. He always speaks through his word. This is what is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. God will speak to his word, and he will show you, the Bible says. Here it is. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you. God is willing to disclose to you what his plan is. He is more than willing to disclose to you his plan if you ask. He says, I will show you great and mighty things which you do not even know. Wow. Things you're not even aware of. They're there. They're there for you. 
God has a plan for your life that is so much higher, so much better, so much richer than what you could ever even imagine. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, God has a plan for you. But in my heart, Proverbs 19, 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it is the Lord's counsel that will stand. Your plans will fall apart, but God's plan will endure forever. And you want to know what's really sad? Wouldn't it be pitiful to go through your whole life and realize you did something that really didn't make any difference anyhow? That you wasted your time, that you could have had a phenomenal life, an incredible life. You could have been an incredible person, and you never tapped into God's plan. Isn't that crazy? Why would you live like that? Why would you do that? Why would you walk away from that? Therefore, Job said, one of his friends, Elphaz, told him this. When Job had problems in his life, he said, Elphaz said, as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Well, that's the first answer that you need to do. You need to do exactly what the Bible said in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call out to me. Seek God is calling out to him. If you will go to him in prayer while you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will ask him to reveal his plan to you through the word, he will show you. He will make it evident. He will make it plain so that you will not wind up going down a dead-end street and wasting years of your life. Can you imagine marrying the wrong person because you got overly anxious and you married this person and it wasn't the person God intended for you to marry and you were married 10, 20 years and wound up divorced and all that time is gone? What do you mean God has someone for me to marry? Well, the first thing the Bible says is don't marry unbelievers. What fellowship does light have with darkness? You wind up marrying a person that's not a Christian. You wind up violating the will of God. Now, God can handle your sin when you confess it and admit it. And marriage is indeed a divine institution. But if the marriage doesn't work out, many times it's because it's not based on Christ. That's what a hold of marriage together is a relationship where each person has a responsibility before God and before each other. So if you will seek God, as for me, Job 5, 8, Elphaz's words, I would commit my cause to him. Proverbs 3.35 says, the wise, who's the wise? Well, I hope that's you. I hope you're the one that's got some wisdom. The wise shall inherit glory, but the shame will be the legacy of a fool. I'm about to tell you something no one's ever told you before. But at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be shame. Not for all eternity. You're not going to stand there embarrassed, but you're going to see what you missed. You're going to see what you blew. You're going to see, for example, in 1 Corinthians 3, if all of your good deeds, all of the good things you did burn up and they were nothing but wood, hay, and stubble because you did them all, the good things, but you did them in the wrong way. 
You weren't even filled with the Spirit when you prayed, but you prayed. You weren't even filled with the Spirit when you gave your money, but you gave. You weren't even filled with the Spirit when you attended church, but you went. Those were the good things. And you sang in the choir, and you went on mission trips, but nobody ever told you how to be filled with the Spirit. And so you wound up doing all of this in the energy of the flesh. It's not gold, silver, and precious stones. It's wood, hay, and stubble. And you will be ashamed. You will see all of your works perish. And you will have nothing to present your Lord. You'll be in heaven. You'll have eternal life. And you'll be there forever. But you'll be there minus, minus anything to lay at his feet. Job 5.17 says, Happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, don't despise the chastening of the Almighty. If God's dealing with you today, you better listen. This is the source of happiness. When you can hear God dealing with you, and you can respond by saying, Yes, Father, you're right, then you have the key to happiness. Because happiness belongs to the man that God corrects. That means he keeps you on the course. He doesn't let you go to left field. He doesn't let you go to right field. He keeps you straight ahead. He... he uh, goads you like a person would hitch up a mule and goad the mule as he plows down the road and the mule wants to go left or right so the farmer goads him to keep him straight. Discipline keeps us straight. So don't despise it. It's God's way of straightening you out. It's amazing. What about people that don't believe it? What about people that don't want it? <clears throat> what about people that ignore this? Well, Proverbs 1, 24 through 33 says this, Because I called out and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one even regarded it. Because you disdained all my counsel and you would have none of my rebuke, I will also laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call on me, but I won't answer. And you will seek me diligently, but you won't find me. Because you hated knowledge, and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. You would not listen to my counsel. You despise my every rebuke. Therefore, you will eat the fruit of your own way. And you will be filled to the full with your own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of a fool will destroy him. My people, Hosea writes in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Since you've rejected knowledge, I'll reject your children. That's in the Bible. But this verse says, whoever listens to me in Proverbs chapter 1, 24 through 33, whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. If I had to lay at America's feet a passage of scripture, it would be this one right here. Is there discipline coming to America? Yes. Have we rejected the God and, and, and focused on the gift? In other words, have we put more attention on the gift than on the God? Yes. We've kicked him out of our schools. We've kicked him out of our public arena. We've marginalized and demonized anyone that proclaims themselves to be a Christian. 
We focused on everything but God's Word. And when it comes, and it's coming, you can bank on that. We're in a war on terror right now with Muslim extremists, and it is coming. When it comes, what are you going to do? You're going to run to God and ask for help when you didn't want him, when all the prosperity was there, when all the good times were there. You said, no, I don't need you, God. I'm, I got plenty of stuff, you know. I don't need you. I got my guns. I got my ammo. I got my food. I'm okay. But when all that runs out, what do you have? Only the grace of God will deliver you and spare you. And people that are Christians are dying across the world today. Dying just because they believe in Christ. Muslim extremists are cutting their heads off and killing Christians all across the Middle East. Is it coming to America? More than likely, sometime sooner or later, because we have ignored the giver, we focused on the gift. So when your terror comes, the book of Proverbs says, God says he'll just laugh at it. And your destruction will come in like a storm and a whirlwind, and it'll come upon you. They will call on me. I won't answer. They will seek me, and they won't find me, because they hated knowledge. What did that verse of Hosea chapter 4? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Since you've rejected me, I'll reject you and your children. Why is it that the knowledge of God is offensive to people? Why is the knowledge of Jesus Christ offensive to people? Why would we rather put young men in prison than give them the gospel? What would happen if we opened up the public schools and began to give kids the gospel and began to give them a choice of being born again? We don't do it anymore today. And look at the crime rate. Look at what's going on in our major cities of the killing and the hatred. We would rather put them in prison than give them the gospel? I can tell you this. The gospel is so powerful that it can change lives. It can change lives. It can change personalities. It can change history if we let it. But no, they would have none of my counsel, the Bible says. They despised all of my rebuke. And thus they will eat the fruit of their own way. That's what's coming to America. Now what about you? Can God deliver you through all this? Oh yes. Absolutely he can. Listen to what the Bible says in Job 5.19. He will deliver you in six troubles. Yes, even in seven, no evil will be able to touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death. In war, he can redeem you from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and at famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beast of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be at peace with you. And you shall know that your tent is in peace, and you shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. And you shall come to the grave at full age, as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, we've searched out this. It is true. Hear it and know it for yourself. Yes. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you pursue God's plan, 
you can know that he will protect you. He will redeem you. He will deliver you and deliver your descendants. But people that depend on some sort of dream, people who have some sort of idea that if they're successful and if they make money and if they find the right person, they'll be happy, not going to happen. The Bible clearly says in Jeremiah 23 that God is against the dreamer. My people forget my name by their dreams, the Bible says, which everybody tells his neighbor, just like their fathers forgot my name for the ball. So if a prophet has a dream, let him tell his dream, God said through Jeremiah. But the one that has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. And that's my job. Yours as well. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? And is not, it's like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. That's how powerful the word of God is. So Jeremiah says, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. I didn't send them. I didn't command them. And they will not profit the people at all. So any preacher that says, I have a dream and this is what you need to do to be happy, that's not what the Bible says. You'd be surprised at the dreams preachers come up with today. The schemes and the dreams they come up with are not even scriptural. They'll get involved in crusader arrogance and suck you right along with them. It's amazing. But if you can learn God's word, listen to Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, above and beyond all that we ask or think. I'm telling you that you don't even know what to ask for. I'm telling you that God's plan is so much greater than your desires, so much greater than your imagination, that if you sat down and you took a pencil and a piece of paper and you wrote out the perfect life in your own imagination, it would not even be close to what God would have for you. You will never know it because you won't take the time to learn God's Word. You are too busy, too distracted, too involved. You will never take the time to learn God's Word. Oh, you'll go to church. You'll be that conventional Christian we talked about last week, the guy that wants a pastor to marry him and bury him and the rest of the time leave him alone. But you're not going to take the time. You're not going to discipline yourself to be filled with God's Spirit consistently, problem-solving device number one, rebound, stay filled with the Spirit, problem-solving device number two, learn God's Word and use the faith rest drill, problem-solving device number three, become grace-oriented, problem-solving device number four. You're not going to do it. Why? Because you don't want to do it. You don't want to. You are a victim of your very own decisions. You either want to or you don't want to. Now, if you want to grow up, if you want to be the person God designed you to be, there's a life out there waiting for you that you cannot even imagine. God will use you in a way that you cannot even imagine. But he's waiting on you to make your mind up. You're a believer. You've accepted Christ. You're in the royal family of God. Start living like it. Start acting like it. Get with a program. Get under a qualified pastor and start learning and growing 
and you will realize what I'm telling you is true. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.